excited children's church stuff going on there. <laughs> it's all good. The kingdom of heaven is like a man that owns this field, and he went out into his field, and he started sowing good seed. He sowed lots of good seed in his field. But one night, an enemy came into the field unannounced, secretly, and sowed weeds in with all of the wheat. He sowed weeds into all of it. So when uh, when the wheat started growing up, Weeds also started growing up. And so the servants saw the, all these weeds and they went to the master and they said, Sir, uh, didn't you sow good seed? Because you, you, there's all this wheat. And in the middle of the wheat, there's, there's these weeds. Who did this? Who put the weeds there? And the owner said, An enemy did this. An enemy did this. So the servant said, Okay. So do you want us to go out there and pull up all the weeds and get rid of it right now? And the owner said, no, no, we're going to let it all grow up together because I don't want you to start pulling up the weeds and accidentally pull up the wheat too. I don't want to lose any wheat. So we're going to wait for the harvest time. And when harvest time comes, I'm going to send the harvesters out there and they're going to get rid of the weeds first and then harvest the wheat. And they're going to take the wheat, put it in my barn. And the weeds, they're going to take and burn them. Now, when Jesus told that parable, uh, this is one of those great parables that uh, he interprets the whole thing for you. He tells you what every single thing means in that that parable. It's great. Uh, Saves me a lot of work, right? Saves you a lot of work to figure it out. Um, Really clearly, the, the owner, the sower, is Jesus, he says. It's the Son of Man. And, and sowing the good seed, that's us. And you can go back to the Old Testament. There's some places in Isaiah that talk about the remnant of Israel, the faithful part of Israel. Like a lot of Israel is not believing, but there's these faithful few, you know, the remnant, and they're compared to the seed. Okay? It's us. We're the seed. We're the faithful. The weeds are... People who don't believe. In fact, he calls them the children of the enemy, the children of Satan. And of course, the enemy that comes into the field is Satan, sowing those weeds. The field is the world that we all live in. Harvest time, Jesus says, is the end of the age. The end of history, when he comes back to judge the world. And weeds get taken out first, those that don't believe and they go to a place of fire and brimstone. Jesus calls it a fiery furnace in that, after that parable. He calls it a fiery furnace. And we go and get to be in the kingdom of God. And he says, the sun of righteousness will shine like the sun. We're going to shine like the sun, he says. That parable describes the end of the age. It describes harvest time on a on a global scale, the great judgment of God. The harvest time is used often as an analogy for that end of time. One time, I used this passage, I think, in a way that it was not meant to be used. Here's confession time. I was called to to go over to a family's house because they were about to share the news with their son that their other son had committed suicide that day. And 
they wanted me to be present and to share with their son who was going to receive that news that night. And I went to this passage, uh, which is uh, Mark 13, or sorry, Mark, Mark, did I say Mark? Matthew 13. And I, and so when the question inevitably comes up, why did this happen? I remember saying, an enemy did this. Now, maybe I should have gone to like, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. The thief did this. Because this passage is saying, that the enemy sows all of these unbelievers in the world. And I, I don't know. I don't know the heart of the person who who committed suicide, so I, I can't speak to that. But but what I wanted to say was, this life is not as it should be. And and the reason that there even is a harvest is because life is not as it should be. The reason we're going to get to the end of the age and see this judgment, this this global judgment from Jesus Christ is because the world is not as it should be. Like Brian Brian McLaren writes about this in one of his books. You could put the quote up there. Um, War, waste, wealth at at the expense of others, stripped mountains, eroded soil, extinct species, ghettos, genocides, refugees, slums, squatter camps, kids begging on the sidewalks where they sleep, slaves, hostages, prisoners, obscene opulence of a few, obscene deprivation of many, tears, curses, fear, mocking laughter, raised fists, wailing widows, grieving mothers and fathers, orphans, so many orphans, funerals, depression, agony, angst, atheism, and even worse, vicious religion. Um what he's getting at, stating it so eloquently and, and succinctly, is this world is not as it should be. And the harvest will change that. The harvest time will change that. Please turn to Revelation chapter 14. Uh, we are taking a break after this week. We'll pick up Revelation next year. Uh, we'll be doing a Thanksgiving service next week and then moving into Christmas. Uh, that was not the original plan, but we uh, we came up with a really great um, drama series we're going to do called First Christmas. So we're doing a very Christmas-centered um, series coming up here very soon. So we're very excited about that. So this is it for a little while, then we're taking a break. Okay, Revelation chapter 14, verse 1. Then I looked, and there before me was the Lamb standing on Mount Zion, and with him 144,000 who had his name and his father's name written on their foreheads. And I heard a sound from heaven like the roar of rushing waters, like a loud peal of thunder. The sound I heard was like that of harpists playing their harps. And they sang a new song before the throne and before the four living creatures and elders. No one can learn the song except the 144,000 who had been redeemed from the earth. These are those who do not defile themselves with women, for they have kept themselves pure. They follow the Lamb wherever He goes. They were purchased from among men and offered as firstfruits to God and to the Lamb. No lie was found in their mouths. They are blameless. We'll pause. I'm not going to focus a lot of attention here. We've talked about this group before. 
I'll only add that this description is interesting because there's there's an interpretation that suggests that this 144,000 could be like an end times army. I don't know if you've heard that. And it's interesting that here it says that they have not defiled themselves. This is sexual purity, which is reflective of some of the purity laws for the soldiers in the Old Testament. Okay, so there's a suggestion perhaps this could be an army that we're looking at. And and there's so much I could say, so much we could look at here. Uh, We want to move on. I want to look, I want to focus our time in on the angels that we're about to see. and, and, And they're about to announce the harvest of the earth. They're about to announce the judgment of the nations. Here it is. Verse 6. Then I saw another angel flying in midair, and he had the eternal gospel to proclaim to those who live on the earth, to every nation, tribe, language, and people. He said in a loud voice, Fear God and give him glory, because the hour of his judgment has come. Worship him who made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and the springs of water. What's he talking about? What's the first angel saying? If you have notes, I I tried to give one word for each angel to kind of sum up what they're saying. And and the first word I'd say is fear. Fear. But but not the trembling, uh, uh, I'm scared, not that kind of fear, but, but awe, reverence, wonder. Fear God. Give Him glory because this is the hour of judgment. He's proclaiming what's called the eternal gospel. Gospel means good news, right? He's proclaiming the good news to the nations, all the nations. Some people say, well, is, is it really, really going to be an angel flying around the world and, and, and proclaiming to all the people? Or is the angel symbolic of believers during that time of tribulation that, that are going to do their witnessing work in the end times? The Antichrist wants to wipe them out, right? Is, is it the believers and I'm not sure. I, I guess I lean towards an angel's really going to be really going to be flying overhead and proclaiming this. But whatever the case, the, the point is the same: that people have a last chance to turn to Christ. There, there's still time. You've been worshiping the Antichrist. Can, can a person that receives the mark change his mind or her mind? Uh, it kind of makes you feel like that would be a possibility. Because this angel saying, the judgment hour is coming. You don't have much time left. Now's the time. He's proclaiming the gospel. Now, this passage also calls, causes me a little bit of a headache because uh, it, it's called the good news. But if you look at what he says, it's fear God and give him glory because the hour of his judgment has come. Worship him who made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and the springs of water. When I think about sharing the gospel, I think... I'm talking about Jesus who was crucified for you. That's the good news. He died for your sins. He rose from the dead. You can have new life. Uh, this angel doesn't say that. And so I don't know how you want to reconcile that in your mind. I've been thinking about it all week. How do, how do I reconcile that? In fact, uh, Pastor, I remember sitting in seminary class, and, and my professor asked, what's the essence of the gospel? And I said, well, it's Christ died for our sins and rose from the dead. That's the essence. And another pastor said, you, you could share it many different ways than that. And I said, oh, really? How else would you share it? You know, and he's saying, well, uh, God helps people and God wants a relationship with people. I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But the only way you can do that is because Jesus died. It always comes back to the death of Christ and the resurrection of Christ. He says, what about Revelation 14? I don't know what that says. So I look it up and I'm looking at it going, oh, well. <laughs> so, so I wrestled with this and I discuss this with people and I don't have the perfect answer, but 
Certainly within the phrase is fear God and give him glory. The hour of his judgment has come. There's the implication that Christ, the judge, is going to judge the earth and there's still time to turn to him. And, and, and maybe the assumption is people know what Christ did because the church has been doing their work. They've been sharing and they've been being killed by the Antichrist. You know, perhaps the world already knows this message and the angel saying, this is your last chance. But in any case, it's the eternal gospel. It doesn't change. It was the gospel in the days of Abraham who believed in God and was credited as righteous. It's the gospel in the time of Jesus. And it's our gospel. It didn't change. It's, it's eternal, unchanging. It's always been that way. It's the gospel. And even though they didn't know it in the Old Testament completely, they didn't know that someone was going to be crucified, it's, it is unchanging. That, that there had to be blood sacrifice to cover sin. Unchanging gospel. Same for us today. Only we know the mystery of all of it is Jesus. He came. So the angel announces there's still time. The angel's message is our message, right? We have to tell people there's still time. The hour of judgment's coming. We don't know when it's going to happen. We don't know when the harvest is going to happen. I mean, farmers are a little bit more knowledgeable about when it's going to happen, but we know it's coming. So we tell people, as the angel does, there's still a chance. The second angel in verse 8 says, the second angel followed and said, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great, which made all the nations drink the maddening wine of her adulteries. So the second angel's message is, Fallen, fallen, Babylon the great. Now you might say, well, we haven't looked at Babylon yet, right? No, actually Babylon's to come. It'll be in 2014. We'll take a look at that. But, uh, but it's mentioned here, Babylon. Babylon stands in for the Roman Empire. Uh, it's, it's been uh, said that the early Christian church called Rome Babylon, so they could kind of talk about it in code. Living in Babylon. But in a, in a more general sense, Babylon is the systems of the world. It's the world system. It's the way the world is. It's the world that opposes Christ and is controlled by Satan and gets the nations drunk on, on this adulterous wine. You know, adultery is uh, standing in for um, unfaithfulness to God. You know, as a metaphorical way of saying it, adultery. Um, and so the systems of the world intoxicate the nations of the world and make them oppose Christ, make them oppose the church. So again, we say, why is the church often hated in this world today? Why is the church being pure persecuted in the world today? doesn't seem like the church is much of a threat to people. Why do we have this? Because the church is a threat to Satan, and Satan controls the systems of the world. He's a prince of the power of the air, and he is opposing the church. He's intoxicating the nations. They're drunk with what he's offering them. And this angel is saying, all of that is about to fall. It's fallen. The systems of the world are going to come crashing down. John talks about the systems of the world. If we can get that verse up there. 1 John 2.16, For everything in the world, the cravings of the sinful man, the word sinful man is actually the word flesh. It's the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, 
The boasting of what he has and does comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but the man who does the will of God lives forever. These things are going to pass away. All of this opposition to the church, if we were in another country and we were persecuted, that's a verse that gives huge hope to say, there's going to be a day when no one's going to oppose me anymore. (laughs) That I can just worship as I please, worship the true God, and there'll be no one telling me to stop. There'll be a day when the world will have nothing to offer you that looks better than Jesus. Because sometimes in our own sinfulness, things look more exciting, look more fun, look better than Jesus. And it's like we know to say that, we, we, we could never even say that. No one would t- talk to me after church and say that. Well, I have stuff that feels better than Jesus, you know, so that's what I'm doing. But that's what we live like. That's the world. It's saying this is better. It's intoxicating. And the nations are drinking it all down. And so we're living in a society that's intoxicated. And yeah, we're going to see some conflict there. We're going to see the offer of this intoxicating wine to you and me, the church, that the devil would love for us to drink down what the world offers. But these things are passing away. They're going to be gone. When harvest time comes, this stuff is done. It's done. The world will be set right. That is angel. The third angel um, is in verse 9. The third angel followed them and said in a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast and his image and receives his mark on the forehead or on the hand, he too will drink the wine of God's fury. Here's another analogy to wine. But this is the wine of God's fury, which has been poured full strength into the cup of his wrath. He will be tormented with burning sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment rises forever and ever. There's no rest day or night for those who worship the beast and his image or for anyone who receives the mark of his name. This calls for patient endurance on the part of the saints who obey God's commandments and remain faithful to Jesus. The third angel announces fury. Fury. This, this great, terrible fury that, that yes, the nations, uh, Babylon's going to fall. There's going to be an, an earthly judgment of Babylon, and it's going down. The, the problems you see in the world today, the famine, the hunger, the, 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 the people staying powerful and, and having, having all the wealth, there's going to be a great reversal there. The, the nations will be judged. But the people will be judged for eternity and and pay eternally for rejecting Christ. Um, This third message is getting some resistance in the church today. I mean, you you have books being written that that challenge the notion of hell and suggest perhaps that hell is not eternal. Maybe the word eternal doesn't mean eternal. Um, But you get to passages like this and you look at the word uh, that the smoke rises forever it doesn't seem like there's any out there. And, and yes, that's a hard, hard word, but it's a word that we have to accept. It's, it's what uh, Pastor Andrew talked about in October. It, it's the bitterness of what we have to, have to take in. I, was, I shared this with the ad, adult 
class, uh, cross-training. You're invited to stay for that, by the way, today if you'd like. Um, but I, I shared this with them, and I'm going to share it with you. I remember uh, going to a Dare to Share conference, which is a, teen- a conference for teenagers to show them how to share their faith, what to say, to get excited about sharing their faith. And they did a drama. Every year they do a drama. It's always different. But this year they did a drama about a, a young man who worked in a video store. He would transfer VHS tapes over to DVD. That was like his job, convert them. And uh, he got a VHS tape in the mail that day, and he pops it in, and it's this person uh, on the screen, and, and he, this person's about to be judged and go to hell. So this person's kind of like in a dark room, and, and, and this person's terrified because judgment's coming. And, and he watches the video, and then you have some cloaked figures come in and take him out. And, and it, it's much longer than what I'm making it sound like. But all I'm telling you is I'm watching this thing and I'm looking at teenagers around me and uh, you've got these girls that are sitting around me. They're just sobbing. They're just crying. And me, I'm just, I, I know it's not real. You know, it's like you see the, dra- the drama, they're acting. I know it's not real. And yet it just, it just shook my heart like crazy. I don't even know how to describe it. And, and so this drama is over. And the worship team comes up, and it's like, we're going to worship God now, you know. Come on, let's, let's worship. And I couldn't even hardly stand to my feet. You know, I was just so terrified of the judgment that's going to come on people that I know that don't know Christ. It was just such a shaking up kind of thing. And, and I thought, I almost couldn't even worship God because his wrath is so fearsome it's so terrible and i don't mean that in a he's not bad to judge but but it's so fierce and you get to a passage like this and and it's like they'll be tormented with burning sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and of the lamb that's a hard thing to say to your neighbor you know come to christ or you'll you're going to you're going to be tormented forever in the presence of jesus and the angels we think of angels as fluffy, nice creatures and, and in front of them forever. You know, it's like, how do you even get that? And yet that sharing the good news is connected with sharing bad news. And maybe I wouldn't go here automatically and, and start pulling the hell thing out and, and trying to describe it, but I would talk about judgment. You should talk about judgment. That's part of it. And... However you choose to say it, the good news is Jesus saved you from that if you will accept that gift. But that's part of our message. And and according to this passage, I see no end to the torment that happens here. I mean, I, I would like to see an end, but I don't see an end. The human part of me says, I would prefer... I would prefer hell to be temporary. You know, you pay for what you've done and then you're out, you know. But I, I don't see that here. And if people get a second chance to believe after they die, I don't see that in Scripture. So I certainly can't proclaim that to people as if they will get a second chance. If there's a mystery that I don't understand, that's because I'm not supposed to understand it. I, I, I proclaim what I know. That's what we proclaim, what we know. So the third angel proclaims fury. Um, there is a fourth message, though. 
there is a fourth message that I think um, summarizes kind of the point of this whole thing. Verse 13. Then I heard a voice from heaven say, Write, Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the Spirit, they will rest from their labor, for their deeds will follow them. The fourth message is rest. That's the word, rest. The word labor, otherwise translated work, if you could put the, uh, on the work thing up there. Work could be translated work, hard work, labor, trouble, hardship. That's what that word can be translated as. And certainly it means labor, hard work, that the difficulty of living in the world today as a Christian and, and, and trying to, to live in a way that pleases God, not to live in a way that pleases the world, pleases Satan. That's not easy. That's hard work. To live in a way that lets people know what we believe, that's, that can be hard work. To do something about the injustices that we see in the world. I mean, there's a reason the nations are going to be judged for, for all the oppression that they do to people. They're going to be judged for those things. Babylon's going to fall. And we're, we Christians are working against that stuff. We're trying to bring more justice into the world, to help the poor and the oppressed, to, to take care of the orphans, take care of the widows. We're supposed to be there to help the vulnerable. And that's hard work. Because the whole world is is opposing that work. And maybe not the whole world. I know there's relief organizations that may not claim Christ that help. I'm glad for them too. But we're doing the work. At least we're supposed to be doing the work of helping people. And it's hard work. But this passage says... Blessed are the dead, verse uh, 13, who die in the Lord. I think that's, again, assuming they're martyred, the Antichrist might kill them. And it's so good that they're done with the earth because now they get to rest from their labor. What's the word rest mean? What does it mean to rest? Rest is what I'm going to do in about three hours, okay? (laughs) Um, What's what's it mean here, though? I did a word study on the word rest. If you stay for... um, the class afterwards, I might talk about, I, I do word studies in a kind of a fun way, but uh, a little different. Uh, pull up the rest word study. Um, in my word study, rest is, occurs in the Bible, let's see, 8, 9, 10, 11 times this word rest comes up in the New Testament, okay? Uh, five times it's used for refreshment. Like Jesus says, come away with me and rest for a while. You know, you, disciples, you've been doing a lot of ministry, you need some refreshment, uh, sometimes Paul says, I went to this city and so-and-so refreshed me. Praise God for them. They refreshed me. It's typically used in a temporary kind of way. I'm mean, just looking at all the, all the times it's used. Five times, it's kind of like there's these times in our life where we get refreshed from the hard work we're doing. And then three times, it's used as relax. Relax. Uh, which is often used in a negative way. I'm not saying the relaxing means a negative thing, but it's used in a negative way. What do I mean? Like, uh, remember uh, Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane? Why are you sleeping and resting? Like, you're relaxing from work. You should have been keeping watch. should have been praying for me, praying for yourselves. I told you to do that. And instead, you're taking the hour off. You're relaxing instead of working. Uh, 
that that's the idea of relaxing. Remember the remember the farmer who uh, who had a great crop come in and he had so much that he got, he said, "I'm going to take it easy. I'm going to rest. I'm going to relax. Take it easy for many years. I'm going to fill my storehouses. I'm going to build new storehouses to, to get full of all my stuff. I can just get to take it easy. No work for me anymore." And Jesus said, "That hour, he had to call. He had, he was judged that hour." Um, Relax. Uh, used very often in a negative way. Uh, wait. One time it's used for waiting. Remember the, uh, what was it, Revelation 5, 6, the souls underneath the altar? They're like, how long, O Lord, until you avenge us? And, and, and God says, wait, rest a little bit more. It's not time for judgment yet. And then one time it's used rest upon, as in the Holy Spirit rests upon us. Which one do you think is being used here? You get rest from their labor, for their deeds will follow them. I had a hard time choosing between refreshing and relaxing, you know? Because in one sense, God's going to right every wrong so the church doesn't have that job anymore. We're kind of done with that. I think we're going to have new responsibilities, but not these responsibilities. We're kind of done fighting injustice proclaiming the gospel. That's kind of done. So we get to relax from our labor. I think it's used in a positive way. There's also that idea of refreshment, that, that one day our deeds, all the hard things we've done in this life for the kingdom of God, follow us. We're, we're going to be rewarded for what we've done. We're going to experience this refreshment based on how hard we've worked for God in this life. It's refreshing. Um, I, maybe I lean a little bit more towards relax because the idea is we're relaxing from labor. Our hard work in this life is over. And the hard work can only end if the harvest comes. It can only end if the harvest comes. So here's the harvest. Verse 14. I looked, and there before me was a white cloud, and seated on the cloud was one like a son of man, with a crown of gold on his head and a sharp sickle in his hand. You should be thinking about the parable I just talked about at the very beginning. (laughs) Then another angel came out of the temple and called in a loud voice to him who was sitting on the cloud, Take your sickle and reap, because the time to reap has come, for the harvest of the earth is ripe. So he who was seated on the cloud swung his sickle over the earth, and the earth was harvested. Another angel came out of the temple in heaven. He too had a sharp sickle. Still another angel who had charge of the fire came from the altar and called in a loud voice to him who had the sharp sickle. Take your sharp sickle and gather the clusters of grapes from the earth's vine because its grapes are ripe. The angel swung his sickle on the earth, gathered its grapes and threw them into the great wine press of God's wrath. They were trampled in the wine press outside the city and blood flowed out of the press, rising as high as a horse's bridle for the distance of 1,600 stadia. Uh, to me, this image is brief. You know, it's like the earth was harvested. The end. The wine press was used. Blood flowed. That's all. And yet, the, the brevity of it, the quickness of how he says it, is is 
it's awesome in that way. It, it, it should provoke awe in us. Like, that's it. The earth is harvested. The Son of Man did it. He was sitting on a cloud. He swung the sickle, the sharp one, and, and that was it. The earth was harvested. Everything in that parable that Jesus told about the man and the, and the wheat and the weeds, it just happened. And the result is the earth is finally at rest. Creation groaned. The spirit was grieved by all of these things that happen that bother us today. You watch the news and you say, why? When the harvest comes, all of that will be resolved. And the earth and all of God's people will be able to rest. Worship team, when you come up. Let's pray. Father, um, we, we long for the day when things will be at rest. And yet we know that the longer you give us here, the longer you give us to labor, it means more people can hear the gospel message. And so there's this sense that your patience is a good thing because more people can come into the kingdom. I pray that that happens. I pray that they come because of the ministry of Three Lakes Church, the ministry of other Northwoods churches. Please bless them. Bless the churches in this area to proclaim the message and help us wrestle with the reality of judgment. Give us us, uh, 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 courage in, in the face of the temptations of the world. Because there's so many. And they make things look so good. And we see it, and it's it, almost to see it can be intoxicating. Help us, God. Help us. We're, we're your good seed. We're not the weeds. And, and so I pray that as wheat, we might please you and labor intensely in your kingdom until the day comes for the harvest. In Jesus' name, amen.